This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Americans are tired of the pandemic. They're tired of changing government guidelines, of uncertain recommendations on mask wearing, of restrictions on gatherings, and more. And so we're more receptive to pronouncements that the Omicron variant of the COVID-19 virus is milder and therefore spells the end of the pandemic. Author John Barry, who wrote a definitive book about the 1918 influenza pandemic, warns that it's too soon to declare the end. John Barry's books include Rising Tide, The Great Mississippi Flood of 1927 and How It Changed America. His book about the flu is called The Great Influenza, The Story of the Deadliest Pandemic in History. He just had an op-ed in the New York Times about what the influenza pandemic can teach us about this moment in history. Welcome to the program, John. Thanks. Nothing like giving people bad news. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's certainly, I have to admit, I have been tempted by this idea that, well, the Omicron virus is milder. It may be more transmissible. This means that it's going to become endemic. We'll just learn to live with it. And it's basically over. Why is that not quite true? You know, we, we don't define when the pandemic ends. You know, I know we're all tired. I'm tired. The virus doesn't really care. The Omicron is less virulent than Delta, and yet there are more deaths on a seven-day average now than there were with Delta at Delta speed. So many more people are getting sick. You know, you don't need to live in a box. You know, I go out and try to live pretty close to normally, but I do avoid obvious things that are going to put me at risk. You write in your New York Times op-ed that there was a fourth wave after the influenza pandemic was declared over that was just as bad, if not worse, as earlier waves. It was just that the public didn't pay attention because they were just done with it. Might we be in a similar position today with the COVID yeah, pandemic? I think it's very similar. If you, if you look at uh, nearly all the histories of the pandemic, including the CDC website, uh, they say there were three waves, but in reality, there there was a fourth wave. I think the reason so many people say that there were three waves, because that's what people at the time treated it as. And but that fourth wave uh, was actually deadlier. Some places, places, big cities like Detroit, Kansas City, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, uh, some other places, it was actually deadlier than any prior wave in the pandemic, although overall it was not as deadly as the second one. But again, people were tired. They went about their normal lives without any interruption, and the result was more people died than might otherwise die. Something similar happened in the much more mild pandemics of 1957, 1968, and 2009. is going to be something that we can very definitely live with in a normal way. It, it may be even more mild than influenza. I hope it does. So, but we don't know what's going to happen between now and that. So uh, how has the Omicron variant of the virus impacted the population as a whole? We know that it 
is milder, especially for people who are vaccinated, hospital, the risk of hospitalization is much lower than say if they had been infected with the Delta variant. But does milder and more transmissible you know, what, what does that mean? It, to me, it sounds like a lot more people are getting infected, which means that overall deaths are higher, even if for individuals, it might be milder if they're healthy and vaccinated. Well, you just said it perfectly. Mm -hmm. On an individual basis, the risk, particularly if you're vaccinated or if you were sick earlier, uh, the risk to each individual is significantly less particular, but so many more people are getting infected as a society. There are actually a higher level of step day average deaths than at the peak of the Delta one. If people go about um, their business because they are tired, um, and there's many good reasons for people to be tired, there's also this sort of lack of or, or waning trust in the government because it seems as though the government tells us something different cdc tells us something different every month if they go about in their with their lives without being as careful as they were um say six months ago we're going to see cases uh, case numbers rise and deaths rise right isn't the best approach to not necessarily fully locked down, but at least use every weapon we have in our arsenal against the pandemic and then try to live as safely as possible? For one thing, the most obvious is you get vaccinated. A CDC said a few weeks ago that you were 68 times more likely to die if you're unvaccinated than if you're vaccinated. You know, a month or so ago, the, uh, the Texas Health Department released numbers that showed you know, thousands of dead who were unvaccinated compared to a much, much, much smaller number who were vaccinated. You know, I mean, the numbers don't lie. The other thing is wear a quality mask, uh, KN95 or, or an N95, when you don't need to wear it outside. But if you're going inside somewhere, uh, yeah, you should wear the mask. It's just common sense. You know, I mean, the reality is, you know, we're all tired. Uh, you know, it does become a matter of discipline. When I first left school, I actually coached football for, for a few years. And, I used to, and the teams that were more disciplined in doing the fundamentals and were more focused, they were the teams that were successful. Um, people that get sloppy and make mistakes and, you know, they, they, they suffer for it. The, you know, the, the virus does seem to be the, the immune system when you're vaccinated uh, does protect the lung from infection pretty effectively. That's why the death toll for the vaccinated is much lower than the death toll for the unvaccinated. I think that is pushing the virus. It's creating sort of an evolutionary pressure that is pushing the virus toward infecting the upper respiratory tract, which is much less dangerous. And that seems certainly happened with Omicron. I think that trend will probably continue and we will end up with a virus much like influenza and possibly even more mild than influenza. But we are not there yet. And we don't know how many iterations of the virus it's going to take to get there. Um, and as I said a minute ago, in every pandemic we know about in the past, that there was an uptick after things seemed to be calming down. So it remains dangerous.
Let's also talk about uh, what I mentioned earlier, which is that the government has had, you know, mixed messaging. Um, yeah. They started out out of the gate. And I, I know you wrote an op-ed about this in the New York Times two years ago, um, that it was important to just tell the people the truth. And, and during the Trump administration, when the pandemic first started, the government misled the public on something as simple as masks, telling the public that masking wasn't as important because they were worried about, uh, you know, people um, getting uh, too many masks or hoarding masks at the, to the detriment of healthcare workers. And so right then and there, it seems as though they started out on the wrong foot. How important is trust in the government when it comes to managing a, something as vast as a pandemic? And, and do other countries do better? Well, clearly other countries have done a lot better on that. Uh, I think in terms of the masking, that particular uh, question is a lot more complicated. I was among those saying that masks don't matter for the general public. And it was based not just on concerns about healthcare workers getting supplies, but also on some data from 1918. In fact, even back in 1918, they knew they ran experiments. It was absolutely firm conclusions that if you put a mask on somebody who was sick, that it protected people who were around them. But the data did not show quite the reverse that it was worthwhile masking the general public. What happened with uh, SARS-CoV-2 was the asymptomatic transmission. There is even 30% of the influenza is asymptomatic transmission, but it's a, for a much shorter period of time. And Delta is a much greater uh, period of asymptomatic transmission. It's in twice the number of cases. So that was also a factor in, in the early advice uh, not to wear masks. So that, that one's a little more complicated, but obviously you then have the Trump administration uh, undermining the messaging that's coming out of the public health community. Uh, that divides the country. You get certain element of the country that's confident in, in, that what they're hearing from the scientists are advice worth following. And then you get another sex in part of the country that was basically listening to Trump. And the politicization has only gotten wider since then. And so you also have, uh, even under the Biden administration, it's, you know, it seems as though the public sometimes is left feeling confused, even if the decisions that, say, the CDC makes um, and announces might be rooted in science, they don't seem very well tailored to the public. For example, the shortening of the isolation period with the Omicron variant, a lot of uh, people thought, oh, they're only doing this because they just want us to go back to work and not lose corporations more money. The, the trust seems to have really eroded, and that's not good. No, I mean... <laughs> Clearly, uh, you know, the countries that ha have maintained trust have done much, much better than the United States. You know, we have, you know, over, you know, we're approaching 875,000 debt. Hundreds of thousands of those people should be alive. And a lot of it is, is because of the politicization. Some of it is because of uh, the confusion. You know, the the Biden administration on a substantive uh, decision making, I think most of their decisions, I think, were the right decisions. Uh, not all of them, but I, I think most of them. Uh, but their messaging has been very confused and very poorly coordinated. Uh, and, and part of it should start at the beginning when you create a framework 
uh, in which you start out saying, look, we don't know everything. We're going to give you the best information that we have at the time, but it's going to change. So you can expect that to change. And if you know people have expectations that they're getting the, the best that they can get at that moment, but that there will be adjustments, you know, I think they, they would accept that. Um, but when you make something, say something that sounds definitive and then you shift it, then, you, then you're getting into trouble uh, in terms of uh, credibility and, and trust. And, so and of course, this is how science works. Um, scientists, give, you know, give the best information they have at that moment. Then there's new data. Then they revise things. Then they know more. And of course, add to that, you have a rapidly mutating virus where the right. rules are different with each variant. Um, and it certainly makes it confusing to convey scientific information. And for the public, these past two years, hearing information that seems to contradict uh, previous information has just all led to a uh, public that is very weary. But as you warn in your op-ed, it is too early to say things are over. Um, give us the nutshell uh, advice that you would give as somebody who studies these things closely, who's learned from history about how past pandemics go. What, what do you do that you suggest as a model for other people in how to live with this pandemic over the next six months to a year? Well, you know, you avoid crowds. Uh, you stay away from closed spaces. You wear a mask. You, of course, get vaccinated. And, you know, the common sense stuff, uh, as I said, I don't live in a box. I go out, but I just avoid the places that are likely to create a problem or not just me, but for other people as well. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, John. Um, and I'm sure people can find a copy of your uh, book in bookstores, uh, The Great Influenza. Okay. Thank you. And uh, give out your own website as well, where they can read your writings. Uh, I'm not much for social media, but I do have one, John M. Barry with an A, dot com. And we'll post a link to that from our website. Thank you so much, John. We'll also link to your New York Times op-ed that just came out. Uh, good luck to you. Thank you. You too. My guest has been John Barry. He's a journalist and author. His books include The Great Influenza, the story of the deadliest pandemic in history, and Rising Tide, the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927 and how it changed America. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Apple Music, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.